Hello, my name is Karen Turner, and I'm with Builders and Creators at the Bessemer City Library in Bessemer City, North Carolina. Today's podcast is all about ghost stories of the American South. We have tales from North Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee that will surely send chills down your spine. I grew up with the ghost stories of North Carolina. My grandparents told me stories of their ghostly experiences, and my mother, a fourth grade teacher, read me stories from the book Tar Heel Ghost by John Harden and another book that I believe was called North Carolina Ghost Stories. I have had my own experiences as well, from living in a haunted house in the Low Ray Mill Village in Gastonia, North Carolina, to my most recent experience at the Latta Plantation. Ghosts just like me. Now I like them. Our first story is about two sisters. The sisters married brothers, and they got along great, except the older sister was jealous. Her younger sister's husband was a better businessman than her husband. He was able to buy her sister all kinds of things that the older sister wanted for herself. Her own husband didn't do as well, but she still loved him. The younger sister's husband bought her a beautiful diamond ring, and the older sister was green with envy. She wanted that ring so bad it wasn't funny. As they got on in age, their husbands passed away, and the sisters moved in together. Things went well until the older sister's jealousy of her sister and her money reared its ugly head. The sisters had a falling out, and the younger sister moved to Raleigh to live with her son, while the older sister stayed in the home that they had shared and was consumed by her jealousy. Time passed, and the younger sister died. The older sister played the grieving relative at the funeral, but while the family wasn't looking, she slipped the diamond ring that she so coveted off her sister's finger. She thought to herself, She won't need it where she's going. She hid the ring away until she got home. Once home, she slipped it on her finger and admired it. She thought it was finally where it belonged. The older sister went to bed that night, pleased that she had the ring that she had always wanted. She woke up with a start. She thought she heard someone calling her name. She rolled over, thinking it may be one of her daughters that came by without calling. What she saw chilled her to the bone. There was her sister, floating in the air, bathed in a blue light. The apparition moaned, Sister, sister, I'm so cold. The older sister was frightened, but she said, Go away, ghost and rolled over, hoping the spirit of her sister would just go away. Instead, she heard it moaning, Oh, oh, sister, sister. The apparition rapidly changed shades of blue like a strobe light. The light gave the living sister a headache. She asked the spirit, Why are you so cold? The spirit answered, The grave is so cold. She shouted at the ghost, Go away, ghost. I don't have anything of yours. And she hid the hand with the diamond ring under the covers. The next morning, the older sister visited a local conjure woman. 
She told her about the experience with the ghost, but not about the ring. She asked what she should do. If the ghost comes again, invite her in to get warm, the conjure woman said. She thought maybe it would calm her sister's spirit and decided that if the spirit showed up again that night, that was just what she would do. That night, the spirit did come again. Sister, I'm so cold, she said. The oldest sister gathered her courage and invited the spirit to come in and get warm like the conjure woman instructed. The spirit came closer and closer to her sister's bed. The older sister was scared to death, but tried to stay calm. She asked, Why are you here, ghost? The spirit answered, I'm looking for something. The older sister shakily replied, What are you looking for? The spirit wailed, My ring, my ring. She answered, I don't have it. Yes, you do wailed the spirit at that moment the sister felt a searing pain in the hand where she was wearing the ring in a flash the spirit was gone and so was her hand all that remained was a black cauterized stump where her hand had been Our next story is about the Boston Bridge Railroad Disaster, passenger train number nine. This takes place around Statesville and Salisbury. In 1941, a family was traveling early one August morning from Columbia, South Carolina to the North Carolina mountains for a much needed camping vacation. The family, a father and mother with their children, stopped at a gas station in Charlotte. While they were getting gas, the attendant pointed out that one of their tires was low. The father said they'd keep an eye on it, and they drove on towards Statesville, where his wife's mother lived. While traveling the dark roads close to 3 a.m., a low tire blew. Husband and wife got out of the car to change the tire, only to discover there was no jack. He decided that he should go for help. Remember, this was a much different time with no interstate highways and no cell phones. The wife laid her head back and tried to nap while the children slept in the back seat. Off in the distance, she heard the low sound of a train whistle that was getting closer. Then she saw the light from the train. It cut through the night like a knife. It was only a few hundred yards from where the car was stopped on the side of the road. The train came into view and she could clearly see the engine and the passenger cars as they passed and started to cross the Boston Bridge over Third Creek. The train appeared to be about halfway across the bridge when she saw something horrifying. The cars on the train started lurching and tumbled off the bridge into the water below. She heard screams of fright and agony coming from the dark. She rushed out of the car to see if she could help. There she saw from the embankment injured passengers climbing out of windows. The cars of the train had dammed up the creek and the water was rising and streaming into the rail cars. 
Suddenly, she became aware of a man beside her. He was dressed like a conductor of a train would be. He had an old-fashioned pocket watch in his hand, and he asked her if she had the time. She replied, It's five after three in the morning. She told them that she wished there was something she could do to help, but she couldn't leave her children in the car by themselves. As she stood there speaking with him, his face started to blur and fade. She believed that she was about to faint. The next thing she heard was the car door slam. Her husband was back with help to change the tire. She ran back towards the car shouting, We have to help! There's been a horrible train crash. Her husband and the man who had come to help with the tire took a flashlight and went in the direction she had come from, looking for the wreck. When they came back, her husband told her there was nothing there. She was shaken and insisted what she saw was real. Her husband told her she must have fallen asleep and had a nightmare. She was so shaken that her husband agreed to check with the railroad station the next day to see if there had indeed been a crash. They fixed the tire and continued to her mother's home to get some rest. The next day, they visited the railroad station and talked to the station master. They asked if there had been a train wreck early that morning. The station master checked his books and related that there hadn't been a wreck that morning. He said, the last wreck in this area happened in 1891. It was horrible. The cars and the engines fell right off the Bastion Bridge into the water. My father was one of the first to arrive, and he told me that people were climbing out of the windows and calling for help. What made it worse was the cars dammed up the stream and the water was pouring into the cars. That was, well, let's see as he thumbed through the station book full of news clippings. It was actually 50 years ago last night. The wife turned pale and sat down. She knew what she saw as she sat on the side of the road was a ghostly replaying of the horrifying events from 50 years before. Our next story takes us to Florida and Robert the Doll. Artist Robert Eugene Otto, known as Gene, was born in the artist's house around 1900. When Gene was about seven or eight, his Bahamian nanny gave him a life-size doll. Gene named the doll Robert. He loved Robert until the strange things began occurring. Gene would wake up and Robert would be sitting on the end of his bed. Jean's mother was awakened by his screams and the sound of furniture being overturned. When Jean's mother got to his room, it was a shambles, and Jean said that Robert caused the mess. Things got so bad that Jean's parents made him lock the doll in the attic. Children going to school would report to Jean that the doll was taunting them from his bedroom window. Jean, knowing he had locked the doll in the attic, would check his room and find Robert sitting in a chair at the bedroom window. They would also hear giggling and the sound of running feet from the attic while Robert was locked up there. Jean Otto lived in the house until 1974 when he passed away. The house was sold and the new owners had a 10-year-old daughter. 
She was delighted to find Robert the doll in the house. That is, until things started to happen to her, too. She would scream in the middle of the night and claim that Robert was moving around her room and that he wanted to hurt her. Robert Ladal now sits in a glass case in the East Mortello Fort in Key West, Florida. Visit him there if you dare. Our last story takes us to Tennessee and the famous story of the Bell Witch. John Bell, his wife Lucy, and their children moved from North Carolina to Robertson County, Tennessee in the early 1800s. They settled in a place called Red River, which would later become Adams, Tennessee. John purchased land and a large house for the family. He continued to acquire land over the years and even became an elder in the Baptist church. In 1817, strange things started happening on the Bell property. A large animal that was described as a mix of a rabbit and a large dog was spotted by John. He shot at the creature, but it disappeared into thin air. John put this out of his mind and went back to work around the farm. Later that night, as the family was gathered around the dinner table, there was suddenly what sounded like someone beating on the outside walls of the cabin. John and his son rushed out to catch the culprit, but no one was there. After that, every night at supper, the sounds of someone beating on the walls occurred. The force of the beating continued to increase by the day, and every night, John and his sons would rush out to catch the person responsible, and no one was ever there. Increasingly, the Bell children would report what sounded like rats gnawing on their bedpost, and that their bed covers would be yanked off of them by an unseen hand. New occurrences started happening. Faint whispering voices were heard by the family. The voices sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. Their youngest daughter, Betsy, became the target of the entity. It would slap her and pull her hair. Handprints would appear on her face when she was slapped. John had asked the family to keep the happenings a secret, but he could finally not stand it anymore. He confided in his neighbor, James Johnston, regarding the ghostly happenings. Mr. Johnston and his wife agreed to spend a night in the Bell home to see what would happen. According to Mr. Johnston, the bed covers were snatched off repeatedly and he was slapped in the face. He is said to have exclaimed, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? The entity didn't respond, but the rest of the Johnston's night was supposedly relatively peaceful. The voice of the entity was becoming stronger and easier to understand. It could recite sermons from both the local Methodist and Baptist churches, which were 13 miles apart, from the same day, at the same time, word for word. It sang songs, quoted scripture, and held intelligent conversations. While it tormented Betsy Bell, the spirit doted on John's wife, Lucy. It is said that once when Lucy was not feeling well and was not eating much, the spirit dropped hazelnuts that materialized out of thin air into Lucy's hand 
to tempt her to eat. When Lucy laid them behind her, the voice asked her why she wasn't eating them, to which she replied, They aren't shelled. There was a sound of shells cracking from the table where they were placed, and the nuts had been neatly removed from their shells. The entity despised John Bell. It was said that the entity was a woman named Kate Batts that had had a dispute with Mr. Bell over some land. They would often address the entity as Kate. John, at the end of his life, was afflicted with problems with swallowing and with his face twitching. He had trouble eating and had become quite frail. When John would try to leave his home, the entity Kate would remove his shoes. It would slap him if he was having a seizure. John Bell died on December 20, 1820, after slipping into a coma the previous day. The family found a mysterious vial in the cupboard where his medicine was kept. When the vial was found, the entity is said to have exclaimed, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. The family gave some of the mysterious liquid to one of the barn cats, and it immediately had a seizure and dropped dead on the spot. The oldest son threw the vial into the fire where it burned with a strange bluish flame. At John's funeral, it is said that the spirit sang drunken hymns until the last person left the cemetery. Things calmed down after John Bell's death. Several months later, in April of 1821, the entity visited John's widow Lucy and told her it would return in seven years. In 1828, the entity reportedly did return for three weeks. During this time, it centered its attention on John Bell Jr., and they spoke of things such as the origin of life, Christianity, civilizations, and the need for a mass spiritual reawakening. The entity also reportedly correctly predicted the coming of the Civil War. When the three weeks were up, the entity bid the family farewell and said it would reappear to the closest living relative in 107 years. There is no reports of this happening. All that is left of the Bell property at this date is a cave that was used for storage by the family. There have been reports of ghostly activity in the cave and lights have been reportedly seen floating through the surrounding fields. Yet when checked, no one is there. Thank you so much for joining me today for these ghostly tales. I hope they gave you goosebumps. There are many books available on the subject of ghosts and the paranormal through the Gaston County Public Library System. Be sure to check them out.